So last week, uh, we said we're hitting the pause button on our Hebrew series for a few weeks, and, and we're going to drill down on some of the rich theological truth that we have covered about who Jesus is. It's good sometimes as you're going chapter by chapter to, to step back and to go further in depth on the things we are learning about Jesus Christ. And to do that, uh, last week and this week, we are looking at those seven excellencies of Jesus Christ we, we looked at back in Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3. Let me review those seven excellencies for you. Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the radiance and the glory of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power Jesus is the perfect and complete sacrifice for sin. Jesus was exalted for his completed work. Last week, we looked at what it means that Jesus is the heir of all things and what it means for us who have trusted in Christ to be fellow heirs with Jesus. Today, we're going to look at that second excellency. Jesus is the creator. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Remember, throughout Hebrews, we have seen and we will continue to see that that Jesus is absolutely supreme. We have seen that his authority, his intimacy and his effectiveness is supreme. And while praying and discerning what to share this week on this profound truth of Jesus, the creator, I was brought back to those three focuses of Hebrews. Because I believe if you look at the position of Christ as creator and his role as creator in creation in our lives, we see on display his supreme authority, his supreme intimacy, and his supreme effectiveness. So that's where we're headed this morning. How is Jesus as creator supreme in those three areas. And as always, what does this mean for us? How does these truths need to impact our lives today? So if you have your Bibles, turn to John 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. That's where we're going to start this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a a brief overview of of what John says is the purpose in this book. What, What is John's aim with his writings? He says this in John 20, verses 30 and 31. John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John, as one of the disciples, had an eyewitness account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And John says, there's so many things that Jesus did while while here on earth. I, I don't have enough time to put them all in this book, but everything I have given you is plenty enough for you to have a knowledge of who Jesus is and enough to give you to, to place your trust and faith in him alone as, as your Lord and Savior. Everything in Scripture is all we need to understand who God is, who Jesus is, and what it means to trust in him alone as our Lord and Savior. That's John's aim. John's aim is his readers, his audience would read these words that that God is speaking through him in a way that they will come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So, So if that's his aim, his starting point is critical. 
He needs to start right out of the gate with, with clarity on what it, who Jesus is and what does it mean that he is the creator. And we're going to get into that right now. Look at verses 1 and 2, because John's going to use that position as creator to help him nail down who Jesus is. John 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Some may ask, who is the Word, or or what is the Word? Well, John makes it very clear, if you scroll down to verse 14, who he is referring to. John says in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says the Word is Jesus Christ. Now, that word, word, it's kind of weird to say it that way, uh, in Greek comes from the word logos, and that word means speaking a message or words. John knows his audience. He's speaking to both the Jews and the Gentiles. That word logos was widely used in Greek philosophy to mean the divine reason of God, the supremacy of God. It was also used widely in Jewish wisdom literature and their philosophy. So knowing his audience, he's saying Jesus is the supreme message. He's the supreme words of God. That's who he is. And I want to show you how he uses now creator, that position of creator, to explain this. So check this out, verses 1 and 2. Never used this before till last night. Hopefully it works again. Here we go. Verse 1, in the beginning. Verse 2, in the beginning. This is awesome. Don't tell Ron. I think I'm taking it to Wilkinsburg with me. (laughs) So he uses that phrase in the beginning. Where have we seen that phrase? Genesis 1, right? It's not coincidence that the exact same Greek words found in the Greek Old Testament for in the beginning are found here. John is showing the Logos, the supreme message of God, who is Jesus, who is Jesus Christ. He is God, and we know that because he has been God in the beginning, before creation. Jesus is the eternal God. Now, there are many religions, many religions that actually have a lofty view of Jesus Christ, but they do not view Jesus as God. Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, They teach about Jesus, but they teach that he was either a supreme created being or he's just one God of many. The Jehovah Witnesses, they take John 1.1 and do this. Let's show that on the screen again. And where it says clearly, and the word was God, they do this. If you look at their literature, they put this, A. It says, and the word was a God, polytheism. They're saying Jesus is great, but he's just one God of many. He's just one God of many. They reduce Christ to one God of many. In the Book of Mormon, they state that Jesus is a Son of God. He's just a great created being, and he's not God. All of this goes against Scripture. Scripture clearly shows that there is first one God, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God. And Jesus isn't a created being. It's clearly shown that the fullness of God is in Christ, Colossians 2.9. 1 
For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. I say that because if verses 1 and 2 were not enough for you, if that wasn't enough to convince you, John really nails it down, again, using Jesus' position as creator to show you who he is. Look at verse 3. John says, All things were made through him, Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is emphatically saying, as creator, Jesus is the eternal God. Why? Because all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. John's saying anything in the category of made, Jesus made it. That means Jesus is not a created being. Because before you exist, you can't bring yourself into being. He is the eternal God, and he is the creator of all things. That, that position, that authority that Jesus has as the creator, the eternal God. Three verses, right? Three verses in Scripture, profound, and there's so much more in there that we could even dig into this morning. But, but John is clearly showing through that position of creator, man, who Jesus is. He's the eternal God, and he created all things. So here's what I want to do. Knowing that that's who Jesus is, he is the creator, how does this look in creation? How does this look in our lives? How does Jesus display his authority, intimacy, and effectiveness in creation? So the first thing we're going to look at is that authority. Jesus as creator displays his supreme authority. So I am 100% Italian. Any Italians in this room uh, this morning? A few out there. Uh, maybe we have a few at the other campuses. So in my family, uh, there was no question who had authority. It belonged to Oresti Di Donato and Marcello Darius, my grandfathers. Great Italian names, aren't they? I told my wife when our son was born, let's name him Oresti. She wasn't up for that uh, at all. <laughs> um, so we had family dinners, man. We loved to eat as Italians. And as a young boy, you did not dare leave the table until your plate was wiped clean. You made sure even if I would whisper to my two brothers, you know, man, grandma's donkey's a little off tonight. Uh, I, I had no choice. I had to wipe my plate clean. And my grandfather, Marcello, he had this famous line he would say to us if we ever whispered a complaint. He would look at us and say, hey, without to me, there would be no you. Eat your food. <laughs> He's got a point. He's got a point. Without him, there would be no me. Why? Because he looked at himself as creator, right? As head of the family, uh, Marcello and Oresti, they had all authority. Now, now, as sinful human beings, we're no comparison to the majesty of Jesus Christ. But Jesus, as creator of all things, he has authority over all things. If you remember Hebrews 1-2, it says, whom Jesus, God created the world. Paul drills down on this further. Look at Colossians 1-16 with me. It says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, visible to things we can see, invisible, time, energy, those things that exist that we cannot see are all from Christ, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, by him, through him, for him. Paul says this again, Romans eleven thirty six, for from him. And through him 
and to him are all things. Scripture is clear that everything in creation has come from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. That needs to soak in this morning, church. Let that soak in this morning. What that means is nothing exists for its own sake. Nothing exists for its own sake. In a very self-centered culture, Scripture says that everything that exists has been created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus Christ. From the bottom of the oceans to the top of the mountains, from the smallest little particle to the biggest star, from the youngest child to the oldest adult, everything that exists exists to make the authority and supremacy of Jesus Christ more fully known. That's who he is. He's the creator. That's the authority that Jesus Christ has. Man, if we just lived based off that, everything we do, every decision we make, is this for Jesus? Am I doing this through his word, through Jesus? Am I representing the things God has blessed me with, that it's from Jesus? Man, if we lived with that manner, that everything's for him, that's who he is. Now, if you just heard those words, if you just heard that, that Jesus as creator has supremacy of authority, he might seem really distant. He kind of is. He's God. He's so far above us. But the amazing thing is, it's just as supreme as his authority. Jesus as creator also displays his supreme intimacy. That's who he is. So Harvard just finished in 2014 what they called the Harvard Grant Study. For 75 years, think about this, 75 years, they followed 268 male Harvard undergraduates from the classes of 1938 into the early 1940s. And for 75 years, they collected data on regular intervals for different aspects of their life. And the purpose was this, over a 75-year span, what gave these men ultimate satisfaction in life? That was, that was the purpose of the study. Well, George Vallant, who's the Harvard psychiatrist who oversaw the study from 1972 to 2004, he wrote a book about it. It's called The Triumphs of Experience. The Huffington Post interviewed him, and here's what they reported on what George Valiant found. Quote, Valiant has said that the study's most important finding is that the only thing that matters in life is relationships. A man could have a successful career, money, and good physical health, but without supportive, loving relationships, he would not be happy. Harvard found in 75 years what God's Word has been telling us since the beginning of time. God has wired us, human beings, with the natural desire and need for love and to be in relationship. That's how we are created. He created us in His image. God is relational. He created us like Him. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. In the Hebrew language, the word image means 
to, to be a representative figure, something that is similar to, but not identical to the thing it represents. We're not identical to God. We're nowhere near Him. But God has created us. He has wired us to reflect Him, to be like Him. And that includes our natural relational nature. First, he gave us dominion over creation, how we relate, how we care, how we tend the earth, how God has given us that dominion. We reflect him and how we care for our work in his creation and also our interpersonal relationships. The love and commitment of a husband and wife, you reflect God. The love and commitment with a parent and child, two best friends, a church community, all of that reflects our creator. But the greatest relationship you need to have is the intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your Creator and your Savior. I wonder how many of those 268 male undergraduates place their trust in Jesus Christ. How many of them are followers of Jesus Christ? Think about the intimacy of God. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. The Bible is clear. If you're here today and you've been trying to earn God's favor, get to God on your own. Give it up. You can't do it. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God and God's love for us, his love for us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. He conquered death once and for all and rose again. And when you trust in him, you can start an intimate, eternal relationship with the living God. That's intimacy, and that's the greatest relationship you can have. There's no other way. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. And you want to talk about love? You want to talk about intimacy? Romans 5, 8, right? Beautiful verse. God demonstrated his love for us. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for us while we were still sinners. If you're here today, no matter how great maybe your marriage is, no matter how great your friendships are, there is no greater relationship you can have than a relationship with Jesus Christ, your creator who knows you best and he loves you the most. He He knows all the junk in your life right now, and he loves you the most, and when you trust in him, he forgives you, and you can start a forever relationship with him. Now, what's amazing about Jesus is when we trust in him, that's just the start of this amazing relationship with him. Think about it. Jesus has all authority over creation. Does Jesus really need us to carry out his will? No, he's God. He can do anything he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. But his word shows us to carry out his will on earth, he effectively uses us. He effectively has chosen to use his church to carry out his will. How amazing is that? How humbling is that? How dare I, as a sinful man, come up here and preach his word? Well, he's called me to do it, to effectively carry out his will. He calls each and every one of us who have trusted in him to be used by him to effectively carry out his will on earth. Here at the Bible Chapel, we call this the five essentials of every believer. If you're here this morning and um, you have uh, never been to the Bible Chapel or you've just been coming here and go, I want you to know. Uh, What I'm about to share with you is what we want every believer to be here at the Bible Chapel. We believe these five essentials are critical to your development as a follower of Jesus Christ. And and if you are a member of the Bible Chapel, or you call this your church home, we believe that every single one of us should be be carrying out what we call these five essentials. 
I first want to show you this. Jesus Christ, no matter where you worship, should always be the head of that place of worship. The, the Bible says that the church is not a building. It's not that beautiful building in Washington or Robinson or Wilkinsburg or here. The church is the people of God. You. Believers, you are the church. And Jesus Christ is clearly in Scripture the head of the church, right? Colossians 1, 17 and 18. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is head of the body, the church. That's a profound statement. If you ever find yourself in a place of worship where it is not crystal clear that Jesus Christ is the head of that church, you don't want to be there. You want to worship in a place where it is absolutely clear they are on the headship of Jesus Christ. This is not Ron Moore's church. This is not the elder's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Everything we do is under his authority. And that's why I praise God for 50 plus years, our theme verse, John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We, we're going to mess up at times, but as leaders, our commitment to you is to lead our church under the headship of Jesus Christ. Now, with that said, you, the individuals of the body, you have a, a calling as well. You have a responsibility as well to carry out your role within the church. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. First, the most important thing we believe as a church, every believer needs to do, is to be daily active in the Word of God. Our commitment is not to preach anything unless it comes from the Word of God. But you're the body of Christ, and your responsibility is to be in God's Word. I want to ask you, uh, I'm going to ask you some honest, open questions this morning, church. Is God's Word a priority in your life? Let's be honest. We make time for whatever's a priority in our life. We find a way to get it done. Is God's Word a daily priority in your life? If you need help, if you're stuck, if you're in a rut right now, we would love to come alongside you. Maybe you need guidance. How do I engage in the Word of God on a daily basis? That's why we're here. That's why we do Living Grounded. Living Grounded is our 12-week discipleship series. We don't do this. Let's make them work really hard for membership. That's not why we do it. Living Grounded is to make sure anyone who calls the Bible chapel their church, that we know that we have rooted them in the firm foundations of God's Word. That's why we do it. If we as the church are going to be used by Jesus Christ to be used for his supreme effectiveness, we have to start here. We have to be in the Word of God. Too many churches are letting culture dictate what they teach or how they teach or how they use Scripture. No, no. We as a church and as individuals always start here and are led by God's Word. That's the first thing we desire for you, that God's Word is a daily priority in your life. Number two, we believe worship needs to be active in every believer's life. Remember, worship is our response to God for who he is in every area of our lives. But it's important, if you're here, that you are on a consistent schedule of corporate worship together. I've met with some folks in Wilkinsburg who tell me, I'm a believer, but I don't need church. I'm not into church. And that drives me nuts. First, if you're a believer, you're in the body of Christ. What do you like it to not? You're in the body. And if you want to be effective... And we're called the body of Christ, and you're saying, I don't need the church. That's like the hand saying, I'm okay over here, body. I'll do my stuff over here. How effective would the hand be without the rest of the body? Not very effective. 
To be effective for what God wants to do, he desires that we are connected together to encourage one another, to exhort one another. We have to consistently be together in corporate worship and throughout the week. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards good love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The day means until Christ returns, don't stop meeting together. Now, I want to share something else that I've noticed over time within the church body. Sometimes we see a lackadaisical attitude to corporate worship. Tardiness, coming in late. A lack of readiness. A lack of preparation for what we're about to do. We're about to worship our Creator. And sometimes we have half the people coming in after we start. The Penguins, right? They lost last night, but they're still rolling. Now, if Mary Lemieux, next game, said, hey, I'm inviting you to my private box. Be here, 7 p.m. we're starting. I bet most of you would make sure you're there at least before 7. You do not want to disgrace the host, right? Come on. We're talking about the creator of all things. We're talking about Jesus Christ who redeemed us. And when we trusted in him, he gave us the assurance of our salvation. We have to step it up in that area too, church. What, what example are we giving to the young people if we say, if we make it in church on time? Okay, if not, so be it. Man, I would love to see at every campus we are in here, and by the time that first song comes on, we are all ready to go to worship our King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who we're called to be as the church. And remember, worship is not just the 75 minutes here on Sundays. It's every aspect of your life. You worship God through your jobs. You worship God even in the grocery line or driving in your car. Everything you do, word and deed, is for the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ. It is worship. But man, we got to take our worship to the next level. We're talking about the creator who wants to use us. Let's come here ready to worship him. Third, we believe every believer has a responsibility to connect to the body. What we mean by that is we desire that all of you here who call the Bible Chapel your home church to be connected with other believers throughout the week beyond Sundays. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, and 26 says, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We are called to do life together. How are you engaging with other believers outside of Sunday mornings? Are you part of a core group? Do you have a a group in place that you are fellowshipping together throughout the week in the Word of God? It's critical for our growth that we are surrounded by believers throughout the week. I've, throughout my time in the church, I've always um, found my connection with those I served with. In 2009, when my dad hit, hit a rough spot in depression and I was struggling, the first people at my door knocking to come to my side, my fellow youth volunteers. We served the youth and we served one another. It was that natural, natural connection within the body. Man, what it's like. You know, I have some friends who aren't believers and they can be there for me and they can encourage me, but there's nothing like a brother or sister saying, let me pray with you. Let me encourage you in the Lord. We need that connection throughout the week. That leads me to my fourth essential. 
We all need to serve. We are called to serve. God has created you with unique abilities to serve his body. Every single one of you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has gifted you. Scripture says this. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Spiritual gifts are those abilities God has given you through the empowerment of his spirit to build up his church. So, question for you, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're like, I don't know where to start. We have a spiritual gifts assessment. We have other tools. Again, that's why we're here. We would love to come alongside you to help discover how God has created you with spiritual gifts to serve his body. And as followers of Christ, we're called to serve. Be active in the body, together, building up one another, and we do it all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Are you using the gifts God has given you to serve the church. He's, he's the creator. And to effectively carry out his will, he wants to use you. And he's created you uniquely with abilities to be used by him. One more. Share. God's word is clear. Believers in Jesus Christ are called to share his good news. Romans 10, 13, and 15, Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We praise God for that. How's that carried out? Well, he says, how then will they call on him and who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him and who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, I believe God, again, he doesn't need us. God can call anyone to himself however he wants, whenever he wants. But how humbling, how humbling that God's word says he calls it beautiful when his people of God share the good news of his son. And to preach is not what I'm doing right now. That word preach means to be a herald, be a proclaimer. Acts 1.8, Ron's going to hit that next week. To be a witness, everything we do in word and deed, we are called to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be. Think about it. Jesus as creator and all his authority, all his intimacy, he has chosen to use us, us to effectively carry out his will here on earth. How humbling that is and how empowering that is. So this past week, the, the campus pastors, we, uh, we met with our media services team who does a fantastic job across all our churches with communication and other factors. And, and they were sharing, we're going to a new bulletin. And the campuses have their own bulletins. We're going to make one bulletin, one church. And uh, as part of that, they said, we're going to make sure in our bulletin that we're more clear with our congregation of why we do what we do. So if you open your bulletins this week, you saw Word, Worship, Connect, Serve, Share. And I, in that meeting, I was shaking my head, and, and Heather Tyle was like, well, what do you think? I was like, I just finished the first draft of my sermon, and you know where I'm headed? Word, worship, connect, serve, share. Amazing how God does that, right? How he works? We as a church, we're not going to get it right all the time, but we as a church are committed to make sure that everything we do, a group we start, a diaper a giveaway we do, we use it to share the message, everything we do is geared in a way to empower the church to be in the word, to worship, to connect, 
to serve, to share. And that's what you're going to see. What are you going to do? My question for you today is how are you going to engage your Creator who has chosen to use you? Will you make this week a commitment to be in God's Word? Will you this week make a commitment to, when you come here for worship that you're ready to go and also approach worship as a reflection to God for who He is in every area of your life? Will you push yourself to get connected? If you're not connected, please, we would love to find a way to connect you to the body. You need it. Are you serving? We need you. I took some church planting classes during my master's, and they do a lot of these studies. And they say if a church is like a 150 to 100 members in Wilkinsburg, we're about 120. If you're that size, you need about 60% of your people serving. Now, if you're larger, the size of this campus in Robinson and Washington, you know, you're okay if you have about 35 or 40% of people serving. They say that because you won't have burnout. I get the statistics, but I read that. I said, no. Scripture says 100% of believers, those who call themselves the church, are to be serving. Let's serve. Let's use the gifts God has given us to glorify Creator. And let's share. Let's this week go out these doors, those doors in Washington, Robinson, and Wilkinsburg, living in a way that we are heralds, we are proclaimers, we are witnesses for Jesus Christ in the way we live our lives in response of our Creator. Remember, it's all from Him, through Him, and for Him, our Creator. Father, we thank You for tonight, today, God. We thank You for today, and we thank You for the worship we had this morning. God, what profound truth that God's Word says that You are the creator of all things. And, and Jesus Christ, as the creator, has chosen to, to use us, the body of Christ, to effectively carry out his will here on church. How humbling that is. God, that you not only saved us through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, but when we trust in you as Lord and Savior, you then have chosen to use us, empower us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. God, sometimes we need challenged and God, I pray this morning that your spirit is challenging every person in this room, showing them that I have created you in a unique way to be used by me. God, I pray that all of us here today, first and foremost, have trusted in Jesus Christ, our creator for our salvation, and second, are doing everything we can to be used by our creator for the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ. Father, as we continue now in worship, God, we're going to worship in a manner that it's all about Jesus. It's all about who he is and what he has done. Father, we commit ourselves to you now in Christ's name. Amen.